How many of you this morning, you like coffee? You, you like, okay, a lot of coffee drinkers. Okay, how many of you, um, you're a little bit of a coffee snob? Okay, okay. How many of you, there are only certain places you like to go to get your coffee because you like the way the coffee tastes there? And if someone mentions another coffee place, you just vomit in your mouth. You, how many of you, you're just like, you're like I, can't even, I can't even touch that stuff. That's not even coffee. That's just warmed up mud, right? So some of you are the, the coffee stuff. So what I want to do is I, um, I just want to, I want to use one of you here today. Those of you that, that like your coffee Black. How many? How many like your coffee black? Okay, so somebody, somebody, I just need you to come here for somebody that likes your coffee black. Just come on down, real quick. Just pop up. Come on. Okay, Amy, come on down. Amy loves her coffee black. Okay, Jim, come on down. Amy, I, I want you to do a little coffee test for me. Okay, there's first of all, we had this tested with laboratory rats and none of them died. Okay, so that's good. I'll drink. So, so it's safe. Okay. So, oh, Jim, hand me the coffee. Thanks, Jim. All right. I don't so, pass this test. Okay. So, so just tell me what you think of this black, this of black coffee. Amy, just take a little sip. It's not too hot. Is it all right? Okay. So that, this, is, this right here is Finger Lakes Roaster that we serve in the back. So very good. I, I like, I don't care if you don't like because I like it. That's what we serve. Okay. So what do you, both black. Okay. What do you, what do you think of, of this? Okay, it's cold. But I good. like iced coffee. You like iced coffee. So would you say that's lukewarm? Would you say that's... Yes, okay, very, very good. Let's give Amy a hand. Thank Amy, do you, do you want that? <laughs> I knew she was going to take it. Amy, take the coffee. So here's the thing. What, what I did for Amy, I gave her one that was warm, Finger Lakes Roaster, uh, Canandaigua blend coffee. Okay, and then I gave her one that we have been sitting on the counter since last week. No, I'm teasing Amy. Amy... Totally teasing. No, this this was about it's about maybe an hour and a half old. And here's the thing: when she tasted it, she knew right away. This, look, it's 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 lukewarm. And here's the thing that we're talking about in in our study: we've been looking at seven churches that Jesus speaks to in the Book of Revelation, and chapter two and three. And we're on a church today that Jesus speaks to them. And says that they're lukewarm. They're not, they're not hot. They're not cold. They're just kind of lukewarm. And what I want to do is I want to dig into this church. Because we've been looking at what Jesus says to these seven churches. And they're literal churches at that time that Jesus speaks to. And, and what Jesus speaks to them, I believe that Jesus speaks to us also. And these are the same things that we personally can, can go through if we're not careful. That if we're not keeping our eye on our spiritual walk, that we can tend to veer into those, uh, into those fields that Jesus doesn't want us to be walking in. And so for five out of those seven churches, Jesus has some condemnation. Jesus has some words for. And there's two churches that Jesus doesn't have any words for. Now, we're going to be looking at the church of Laodicea today. And, and some of you, you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, you're out of order. You, shouldn't you be on the church of Philadelphia? We're going to get there. We're going to get to that church. I'm going to kind of save the best for last, so we will get to that. But I want to look at the church at Laodicea today because Jesus has some pretty sharp words to say 
to this church. So um, if you've got your Bibles, you want to look up at the screens, I want to look at Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to see what Jesus' words are to the church at Laodicea. Let me show you the map here where Laodicea is. You see modern-day Turkey, that's Asia Minor. Laodicea is, is uh, the most southern city that he speaks to. You can see the island of Patmos where John, the apostle John, um, is exiled to, where Jesus gives him this revelation of, of what is happening now in the churches. And then we, we know about the book of Revelation. This is the future of what God sees will happen. Um, uh, and so we see end times that, uh, that the apostle John is given through the words of Jesus. So there you can see where Laodicea is. And that is a very, very interesting uh, city, as you will see in just a moment. So let's see what Jesus' words are. Let's jump right into the word here. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, let's drop down to verse 14. And in, in my Bible, it's in red. So when it's in red, what does that mean? These are Jesus' words. So this is Jesus speaking directly to the church uh, through the Apostle John. So he says, To the angel in the church of Laodicea to write, These are the words of the Amen. Everybody say Amen. 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 Oh, I, I just, you know, can I just say something? I love when you guys say Amen. I love when you shout back at me. I was doing a funeral uh, the other day for just a dear member of our church, and their family just Amen me on my sermon. I just preached, I just preached up a storm. It was, it was just wonderful. They were Amening me back. Yes, Pastor, it was good word. I just, just, it gets me going. Anyways, okay. So here are the words of the Amen, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. The faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and, and I, I, wish, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline. Isn't that interesting? That's a great verse right there. The ones who God loves, he does rebuke and he does discipline because he loves us. Not just to harm us and to hurt us, but he loves us. So to be earnest and repent, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can we have an amen for God's word? Amen. Good. Well, you guys are good. You guys are with this one. I like it. So here, here, right off the bat, we can see that Jesus calls the church lukewarm. So let me give you a little background here. Once again, Jesus' particular words to the church are very parallel with what is going on in the city at that time. So let me give you some context here of the city of Laodicea because it makes Jesus' words much more richer and it puts it into context. And so I want to kind of look at the, the, the city of, of Laodicea and let me show you an ancient picture. Here's, a, here's, a, here's just some ancient ruins at, at Laodicea. Um, 
one thing that we know about uh, the city of Laodicea was its lack of fresh water. Fresh water is everything to a city. And so the one thing that they lacked was this fresh water. And basically, it was, it was located between two cities, one being, being Heropolis, which was known for its hot springs, and the city of Colossae, which was known for its pure, cold water. And so Laodicea had to get its water from natural springs from the mountains near them, and it was done through an aqueduct system. And I have a picture here of the ancient aqueduct system, and Rome did a wonderful job with these, and um, wonderful architecture in, in how they designed these and engineered these. It's just amazing the pitch that they would, that they would have to get these aqueducts to get the water from such a far place. And so the water from its source from these mountains were cold, ice cold. But the time it got to Laodicea, what happened? It got lukewarm. Okay, so you can, you can connect the dots there. This city also was very wealthy. And this is, this is what Jesus says to the church. You have much. You think you have much. And you say, we are not in need but Jesus says you're naked and blind and you need to be covered. The, the city was wealthy. In fact, the city was so wealthy that in AD 60, um, there was a, a massive earthquake that hit the city. And, and, and the cities in the region are in an earthquake zone. And when earthquakes would hit, many times the cities would have to depend on Rome to help reestablish and rebuild their cities. Well, Laodicea had so much money that they said, ah, Rome, we don't need your help. We can rebuild ourselves. We are self-sufficient. The city, listen to me, the city prided itself on their self-sufficiency. That seeped in, as you can see, into the mentality of the church that we too are self-sufficient. And as you can see, there are many parallels here with the city of Laodicea, with the spiritual condition of the church. They did not see the spiritual condition that they were in. How many times has that ever happened to you where you just said, I didn't, I didn't see that. I, I didn't see that. Someone pointed something out Something in your life that was a blind spot in your life that you didn't see. And someone called you out on it. And then you said, you know what? You're right. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Was my, it was in my blind spot. I didn't see that. Now, there's two ways you can react to that. It can be denial. You can be defensive. Or you can receive it. Now, how many of you know that sometimes when, when someone is critical of you or sees something in your life that they know that you're not seeing or, or something that you're doing. And, and many times what happens, I think, in our lives is that for a time, if we're not called on something about a wrong behavior, and sometimes the closest person to you will tend not to say anything because they know it's just going to start an argument. How many couples know, know those arguments, right? You know that that certain topic triggers a fight. And so what we do is we move away from it and we brush it under the car because we don't want to deal with it because we know that it's going to trigger a fight. So we'd rather not talk about it than to deal with it. 
And all of a sudden, it becomes a wrong behavior. And then we accept that behavior as being normal. And that's where the danger comes in. That's where the spiritual blindness comes in. Jesus says, I disciplined you and I rebuke you because I love you. And sometimes the Lord has to shake us up or rebuke us because he cares about us. He doesn't want these blind things to occur in our lives because we've allowed them to occur in our lives and they're going to harm us in the long run. And it happens in any, every relationship that we allow these things to occur in a relationship that's just, that's just not right. It's not correct, but we allow it to happen because we just don't want it to start a fight. And then it becomes spiritual blindness in our lives. And so Jesus starts by saying to them that he is the A. Men. So what does Jesus mean by that? By, by giving him, this is a title, actually a title for God. Jesus starts by saying he is the amen. Now we hear that word in church and, and it can mean let it be so, or let it be so in my life. So when you, you hear something and I, I, you know, can I just be honest? I, I like the word amen. I just do. I, I like, I like, I like that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I catch myself. You ever, you ever catch yourself doing that? Like, in the world, like you're buying something and you get a good deal and you're like, amen. And the, the checkout person's like, woo, all right, amen. You know, you're like, oh, we're not in church, but that's okay. I like that. Like, amen, you know. Like, I remember, that, you know, you buy something on clearance and all of a sudden it's cheaper than it even said in the tag. And I'm like, amen. Yeah. Let it be so. Let it be done in my life. Make it cheaper, right? And, and so when we're in church and we hear something that speaks to our heart, some truth about God's word, we're like, Amen. Yeah. Let it be so. Let that be done in my life. So, so it's okay. Some of you may have come from a tradition where you don't, you don't talk in church. You just sit, right? I grew up in a church like that. I remember when I first went to a church where they said, amen. I'm like, why is everybody talking? Stop it. Be quiet, right? And then I understood when, when God does something in your life, sometimes you just got to say amen, right? You just, you're thankful for what Christ has done and how he's transformed your life. So that's okay. But here's, here's what Jesus, how Jesus uses this word is very interesting. And we have to understand the word amen because it takes on a deeper meaning when we understand its meaning in the Old Testament. And we can see this literal word amen in the Old Testament. And the word amen actually is a title for God. So let me give you an example of this found in Isaiah. And here Isaiah speaks to the amen of God or who his character is in Isaiah 65, 16. And so let, let me read this for you. And uh, you can see it up there on the screen. It, he says this. So that he who blesses himself and the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. Everybody say that together. God of truth. Okay. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Now, this is a great verse, but let, let me, twice, we see the words God of truth. Now, the word truth there in the Hebrew language is actually the word amen. God is saying I am the truth. I am the amen. So when Jesus says, I am the amen, his hearers would understand that what comes out of Jesus's mouth is what? Truth. When Jesus says, I am the amen in here, this is a great verse. If people doubt that Jesus actually is God, and there's some other religions that don't believe Jesus 
is God. And if you're having a conversation with someone, say, well, we, you know, we believe that Jesus is a good man. He's, um, you know, he's important, but, but he's less than God. You can point right to this verse and says, well, Jesus calls himself the amen. And the only person that calls himself the amen is God himself. So here, Jesus is saying that he, what he speaks is truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So the Hebrew word for truth in this passage is the word amen. Jesus is the God of truth. He speaks truth. He is the amen. Everybody say amen. Good. So Jesus will speak truth to the true condition of the, of the church. And so they need to heed his word because he's not mixing it with anything. He's not flattering them. He cares for them. He loves them. So he's going to speak the truth. And how many know sometimes the truth hurts? Sometimes it hurts. But if we receive it, the truth will do what? It will set us free. Okay. So what, what, what truth does what truth that Jesus speaks to this, this church is very important. So Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He speaks to the true condition. He says, you're neither cold or, or hot, you, but you're just lukewarm. Now, let's understand what Jesus means here, because some of you may have, some of you may think that, that Jesus saying you're, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. And you're thinking that the cold is the bad part. Like, like they're ice cold. There's no heartbeat and they're just cold towards God. That's not what Jesus means there. Because being both cold and hot are both useful. So on a hot day, I want a glass of iced tea with ice in it. I want a cold. I don't want something that's lukewarm. On a cold day, I want a nice hot cup of coffee. I don't want it lukewarm. So Jesus isn't saying cold is bad and hot is good. He's saying, I'd rather have you either one, cold or hot. Both are useful. But that's not the case for this church. They were lukewarm and they weren't useful at all. See, so what was happening? They were not growing and they simply became comfortable in their riches. They became comfortable in their self-sufficiency. They weren't depending on the Lord. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand. You, you don't have to do, you can do absolutely nothing to keep something lukewarm. But you have to do something in order to keep something cold or hot. That's Jesus' point. They aren't doing anything. And so that's why your server at your restaurant will ask you, do you want your coffee warmed up? Right? Because they know that coffee is getting lukewarm. So the church became independent, self-reliant. They weren't growing. And, and, and the fact is they were spiritually dead. So here's the question I want to pose to you this morning. How do we get to that place of lukewarmness? How do we get there? Because all of us, including myself, can get there if we are not careful. We can become independent, self-sufficient, and we stop relying on, on, on God. And so I, I believe there's two things that can happen in our lives that can, that can get us personally to that place of lukewarmness with God and, and, and personally as the church also we can get to that place of lukewarmness with, with God. First of all, let me give you the first one. It's misplaced values. I believe what happened in the church of Laodicea, there was misplaced values. And so misplaced values will cause us to lose our spiritual vitality. 
And, and if we're not careful, we can put our, our hope and, 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 our, and, our, and our trust in things that just really don't matter. And, and we begin to value things and we begin to put them above God and they take this preeminence in our life and they begin to direct our lives and, 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 and we get misguided so quickly when we're not valuing God above everything else. See, when we put God and we value him first, it puts everything else in per- perspective, doesn't it? You know, when you're, you're at a funeral, it puts everything into perspective. Like, why was I worrying about that? Why did I make such a big deal about that? My dad was telling me that last week they went to like a, like a peewee football game of 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. Little kids, just cute as a button, all padded up, playing football. Fun game. Just, just go out there and have fun. My dad told me, he goes, I never heard the F word used more than that place. He goes, there was F-bombs going all over the place. And the parents were screaming at the refs and blah, blah, blah. And my dad just said it was like a pit in the bottom of my stomach, you know. And he goes, it was just crazy, just crazy, right? Misplaced values, right? So we, we get this misplaced values, don't we? And all of a sudden, what was supposed to be fun for a bunch of 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, by the way, none of them are going D1. None of them are. None of them are going to the NFL. What, 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 what has happened in our society? Listen, I don't care what side you are in politically. It, listen, listen. The way we're talking to each other in our country today is embarrassing. Listen, listen. We have to realize that is my response, even though I may have a very strong opinion about something, am I being Christ-like in the way that I'm doing it? Boy, that was a great spot for an amen, okay? Great spot for an amen. Are you catching me here? Because what happens is with misplaced values, we take those things and we put them way up here over Christ, and all of a sudden, there's this horrible language and shouting back and forth, and it's deplorable on both sides. We've lost our value. I can remember when Wesley, he's in college now, he goes to Liberty University, he's a sophomore there, he, Wesley loved to play sports. He played all three, he played three sports. He, he played baseball, loved it. He played, he played football. Um, he loved it. And, and so he, 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 he played basketball. He, he loved his sports. So we let him play all three sports. We didn't, we weren't one of those parents that, well, we're going to concentrate on one because we want you to be this great athlete. We just said, just have fun. Wesley, we don't want to put any, you just have fun. He goes, dad, I love playing three sports, play three sports. And I can remember when he was in the little league, we finally, he made it to the all-star game and, and we're there and we are getting killed. It was like 25 to nothing. And it was hot. And the kids are just, you know, they're just so, you know, they're so, they just had a defeated attitude. And I can remember one of the parents to this day, he yells out to his son, and it was just the best thing because we're all kind of dejected and it's kind of like, man, we finally make it to this all-star game and we're just getting hammered. 
And, and this father yells out, Tommy! He's in the field and he's like, Tommy! He goes, are you having fun? I literally started cracking up and rolling over. And I looked at Tommy's dad and I said, I needed to hear that because I wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't having fun, right? I just, I was just hoping that the other team just stopped hitting the ball or somebody tripped over the base or so. I was just something, something good our way, right? And, and it just changed my, see, the problem is our values. And see, for Laodicea, what happened with their values is this is their value was in their self-sufficiency. Their value was in their money. And, 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 and so it can happen very, very easily. The, the, in verse 17, he says, the church of Laodicea was wealthy. And this is what they said. We are in need of nothing. Whoa. This is what the church said. And, and, and so th- their, main focused, their main focus became their wealth. They lost their integrity in that moment. And for the sake of wealth or money, we can sacrifice our families. We can sacrifice our character for it. That's what happened to this church. Now, what, what made Laodicea so wealthy and obviously the church here so, so wealthy is they were known for this, this unique uh, purple wool that was very desirable because um, Laodicea was on the Silk Road. And so they were the center of trade. Um, what was interesting, the mineral content in the water caused the sheep's wool to become this like dark purple or even like a shiny black wool. And it was very unique and very desirable. And so being part of the Silk Road, it made them very, very wealthy. And so they started to measure their success by human standards instead of a spiritual one. And Jesus was much more concerned about their heart than he was about their bank account, about their 401k. He was much more concerned about their heart. See, their dependency was on themselves instead of Christ. And so this is where we have to be careful as a church that we don't do the same thing, where we rely more on our programs, our personalities, giftings than Christ. And, you know, for a church, it can become very self-sufficient. It can be a, a fine-oiled machine and can operate many times without the presence of Jesus. And I don't want that to happen to living word. Because how many of you know without the presence of Jesus, we're just another organization that does a lot of neat, that does a lot of good things. What separates the church from every other organization is that, that we exist because of what Christ has done for the body of Christ. That he gave his life for us, that he's dealt with our sin issue, and that all are welcome to come at the feet of Christ and find forgiveness. And so the church can be this fine, well-oiled machine and can operate without the presence of God. And, and so how do, we, how, do we, how do we protect ourselves as a church from becoming self-sufficient and not relying on the presence of God? and not dependent on him in the life of the church. Well, let me just give you, I want to give you four real quick core values of our church. This is our dashboard. This is what keeps us from going off the rails. This is what keeps us from, from going down a rabbit trail. We basically have just four core values. And I hope, you know, listen, I hope you have some core values in your personal lives. I guarantee the company that you have, that you work for has some core values. You may not know them, but I guarantee they're written down somewhere 
that they value as a, as a company. If you go on the front, if you go on the website of Chick-fil-A, you will see on the front page of their website, their core values of why they exist as a company. And it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Go ahead and ch- not now, but later, right? Check it out. Cause I love, I love Chick-fil-A's core values and I love their chicken sandwiches with just a pickle on there, buttered roll. It's just, it's, it'll change your life if you haven't done it yet. So anyways, my plug for Chick-fil-A. So let me give you four core values. Our core values. Our first core value is being biblically based and gospel centered. Being biblically based and gospel centered, which means this, we want to concentrate and we, we, we want all our efforts to be in what the Bible has to say. We, we want to be gospel centered in all, in all we do. And what I mean by gospel centered is that Jesus forgave us when we were unforgivable. And if I'm not gospel centered in my life, I will be stingy with my forgiveness. I will be stingy in the way I offer grace to a dying and hurting world. See, the gospel message, it recalibrates my heart back to what's most important. And we should never, ever get tired of hearing the gospel message of what Jesus Christ did for us. And I think where churches go off base is when they get tired of the gospel message and they stop preaching to themselves. They start preaching at the world, but not preaching to themselves. They're they're more in love with telling the world what's wrong instead of telling themselves what's wrong with themselves. They're, 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 they're more ambitious of looking through the window at the world and pointing out everything that's wrong than looking in the mirror and seeing what's wrong in our hearts. Come on, church. Don't get me started, right? See, being gospel-centered always turns me back and shows that I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. If the gospel message doesn't humble you, then there's a disconnect with your understanding about the gospel message. The gospel message humbles us so much that instead of pointing out all the things that are wrong in the world, it causes us to be humble and to serve the world as Christ has come to serve us. Jesus says, you know who's the greatest among you? The greatest among you are the ones that do what? Serve. If you want to be great, then learn how to serve. And that comes back to the gospel message. It comes back to hearing and abiding by God's word, which we give it complete authority in this place. So being biblically based, gospel centered, keeps us right down the middle. We'll keep coming back to that. The next thing is being community focused. And, and what I mean by being community focused is we exist for people because Jesus gave his life for people. Pretty simple. We love people because God loves people. And, and, and what I love about um, what I love about being community focused is that we understand that, that we exist as a church for people who have not yet belonged to the body of Christ. It's the only organization that exists for people who have not yet belonged. So I tell people when you, when you become a, a member of living word, you take that step and you're like, yeah, I want to become a member of living word. I said, you're not going to get a card that you can show when you get up to heaven. Hey, Peter, here you go. It's my living word. Membership card. <laughs> Woo! That's got to mean something. And Peter's going to say, eh, eh, means nothing to me, right? So you don't get a card. Here, membership at Living Word means this you lose your rights. Memberships do not have its privileges at Living Word. When you become a member, you realize listen, I'm here to serve, 
I'm here to show people about Jesus. I want God to use my gifts and talents. It's not about me. It's about other people. And when we get that mentality about losing our rights, man, the church is a pretty awesome place. I love when we, can, we get to the point where we're trying to outserve each other. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool place. Instead of saying, this is mine, and, blah, 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 and we're saying, no, I want to give my life because Jesus gave his life for me. When we're community-focused, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about those outside the four walls of our church. If our church stopped to exist today, would anybody care tomorrow? Would anybody take notice? That's something we've got to keep reminding ourselves because if we're not making an impact in our community, something is wrong. And we exist as a church so that we can reach our community and show them love of Christ and serve them. It's not about a popularity contest, but it's about what are we doing beyond the four walls of our church to make an impact within our community, community focus. The next one is mission-minded, that we're called to obey the Great Commission and to go into all the world. So that was, that was a commission that Jesus gave. So that, that's why we have a very large missions program that we have, you know, I don't know what it is up today, Julie, 60, 70 different uh, missionaries and mission agencies that we do. Um, um, Julie Mesnick is our missions coordinator. Julie, just stand up real quick because you're right there. Julie's doing an awesome job with our missions uh, work and missions committee. And uh, appreciate her so much. Julie, how many years have you been doing it for? 18. At least 18. Because I've been here 19. Well, longer. Well, 18. 14. Okay. 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Feels like 25, she said. No. But she's been directing our our, our missions outreach and our benevolence and and just does an absolutely wonderful job. Got a great group of people um, that that sit in that ministry and our missions care team. Um, but this was the heart of Jesus that we go into all the world. Not only that we're community-focused, but that we also go into the world. That's why we go on missions trips. Um, that's why we support missionaries around um, the world, um, because Jesus told us that we need to be, we need to, I, I, want, I want Living Word's footprint to be all over the place. Amen. And not because, there you go, Ruth. I knew Ruth was going to come out sooner or later. There you go. Um, not, not, not for us, not for us, but for the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. It's for his reason that we do these things. So being biblically based and gospel centered, community focused, um, mission minded. And then the fourth one, this fourth one is near and dear to my heart. This fourth one is when I retire one day from pastoring, this is my prayer that I left this kind of legacy that, that the culture of our church of living word had this as their DNA. I, I want this thing to mark our church and that's, and that's healthy people. Now, what do I mean by that? My heartbeat for this church and the culture of our church, that we are people that are more in love with Jesus than our personal preferences. So I, um, there's this family that we've been ministering to. I'm not going to give you all the details, but it's just they're very new to the church, very new to Jesus, the whole thing. And they were going through something, and the, the church has reached out to them and helped them with a couple of things. Um, she wrote something that just stuck in my heart. 
Because what she wrote about the church is, is, is what I want our church to be and where I want our church to keep going. And, and basically said, she posted this on, on social media, but what she said basically was, you know, this, this church has helped me, living word, blah, blah, blah. And um, she said, if that's what being a Christian is, then sign me up. Amen. See, she just said, they didn't know who I was, but when I come to church, they know my kids' names. They cared about us. And we were somebody that was new. There are so many things that you do as a church that I just sit back and I'm so proud of you. And I think when we realize that, listen, how many of all of us have our own preferences? Don't we? Some of you like Starbucks. Some of you like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Some of you like this brand, you're like that brand, you're this, you're that. We all have our, our, our preference, right? We do. Let's all admit, do we all have our preferences? It, we have all of our preferences. I think where a church gets stuck and turns inward real quickly is when we focus on our preferences that can cause division within the body instead of foregoing some of our preferences to say, I want Jesus glorified. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down some of my preferences. I wish they served Starbucks, but they serve Finger Lakes Roaster. Who cares, right, right? I'm not coming to church anymore because they don't serve Starbucks. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. But you know what? We can do that with so many other issues, Right? That we get so caught up. Well, what version is the pastor? What, what version is that? NIV, that's nearly inspired version. Right? What is going on in this church? Right? And I think we can get so caught up in these preferences that it ends up dividing us and we become very unhealthy as a church. And my heartbeat for our church hopefully I would do a good job to cause you to fall more in love with Jesus than your preferences. And it's okay to have your, we have a preference. We have a preference in the way we do church here. We're not like every other church, but, but even within our preference, we would show love and grace that we would point people towards Jesus. That when someone walks through these doors, we would continue to love them and to serve them regardless of what their background is or where they came from or what they're struggling with. Because if I came up here and I spouted all my preferences and somebody brand new walked into the church that didn't know Jesus, but they knew my preferences, do you think they're going to come back next week? Probably not. Let's do everything we can as a church and as a follower of Jesus to lead people to Jesus and who he is and what he did for them. And let's love each other Listen to me. Let's love each other through our different preferences. Amen? Let me just say something. I want to say something about Ruth Brooks. Ruth, I'm going to embarrass you for just a minute. Let me just embarrass Ruth because she's sitting there. That's the problem when you sit in the front row. But I, um, we, had a, we had a worship night a couple of weeks ago, and the band was just, we were rocking, man. We were just singing the worship song, a lot of modern-day worship songs. What I love about Ruth Brooks She's just had her hands raised, just digging into Jesus. 
All the songs may have not been your preference. I don't know Ruth, but, you know, maybe the Gaithers would have been better. I, I don't know Ruth, but yes, yes, they would. So she likes the Gaithers, okay? We all know. Yes, they would. But you know what I love about Ruth? She laid down those preference to worship with this band and encourage them, which a lot of them are younger. Because Ruth understands the future of our church is in the young people that come. Now listen, and that's what I love about Ruth, because she was just, she was louder than everybody else. We know Ruth, she's just louder than everybody, just worshiping. And that encouraged me so much. I always remember my parents said this. They said, Barton, I want to go to a church where my grandkids go. So yeah, everything may not be everybody's cup of tea, but am I willing to lay down some of those preferences is to bring health to the body of Christ because I want living word to grow. And I want people to come. And I want people to know about Jesus. Amen? So healthy people. I stayed way too long on that. I'm sorry. Let me, I'll do the second one much quicker. So, so the second one here is just misplaced focus. And what happens here is that, is that the church lost its vision. When we are not growing, we lose our focus. We just, we just, we lose our focus. And the church has lost its vision of why it exists. Let me just read you this passage real quick in Second Peter chapter 1. Here's what Peter tells us when we're not growing in Christ, we become nearsighted and blind. And I just want to read a couple passages here. First, Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 5 through 9. And and Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, then then it will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If any, but if any of you do not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And so Peter is saying, listen, when we're not growing in Christ, we become nearsighted. And nearsighted is not having the ability to see things clearly unless they're, 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 they're close to you. And so what Jesus says, this church was so blinded that Jesus says, I'm actually standing at the door and I'm knocking and no one's opening the door. That verse has nothing to do with salvation. And, uh, you know, people use that verse a lot when they say, well, if you open the door and let Jesus come in, he can save you and he'll sup with you. Well, the context here is not that. The context is Jesus is standing at the door and they don't even realize it. And he's saying, I want, I want you to let me in so that, that I can have fellowship with you again because you've kicked me out of your church and I'm standing at the door knocking wanting to come in and you're actually doing church without me that's the context that Jesus says you're doing church without me so we need to keep coming back to the question of why do we exist as a church why do we exist as a church it's all about is it about me or those who have not yet come in because it's easy to get inward focused and not outward focused. Our focus must be people, not simply programs. Our focus must be people, not just simply a building. 
So Jesus tells them, this is what you need to change. So Jesus focuses them on what's really important. In verse 19, Jesus gives them three things. He says, buy gold from me, put on white garments, and put salve to anoint your eyes. So the buy gold for me that Jesus talks about in verse 19, he says, my riches are different from worldly ones. My riches can, can only come from the grace that I give you. My riches uh, will last forever. Worldly riches cannot secure your future eternity. So don't, don't, don't get secure just because financially you're doing good. That could be all gone tomorrow. You buy from me. Because my treasures are forever. Lay for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. Wear white clothes because Jesus tells him to put on his garments because his garments are pure. He says, anoint your eyes with salve. Now, Laodicea was a, a major medical center in and, and, and do, there were many doctors there that invented this eye salve for me, uh, medicinal purposes. But Jesus tells them to put on this eye salve so they can spiritually see again that I'm at the door wanting to come in. So, so what do we need to do? Here's, here's, I think, what can happen to all of us if we're not careful. We just get comfortable in our Christian walk, right? We, we get this, uh, you know, I've, I, I've, got a, I've got a lazy boy in my house. I got a recliner and I love my recliner because it can recline back and, you know, and, and I think what we do in our Christian walk is we just get, we just get in our chair and, ah, right? And here's kind of the prayers we may pray. Lord, just, just bless me today. Lord, just bless my kids. Bless me, bless me, bless me, Lord, Right? Don't let anything happen to me this week, Lord. I just I don't need another thing. Right? And that's the extent of our prayer life. But I believe, and so what happens is we don't want to get too far away from, right? We don't, you know, we don't want to get too risky with our prayers. And Lord, keep blessing me, God. Right? And we just kind of, but we keep touching the chair. We, we keep touching the things that's comfortable. And, and I believe where God wants to take us is away from this comfort zone and begin to begin to pray risky prayers. Lord, Lord, take me out of my comfort zone. That person at work, they were hurting, and I was going to tell them, I was going to pray for them, but I was kind of scared because I didn't know what they were going to say. God says, go forward and, and, and pray a risky prayer and go up to them and just say, look, I know you're hurting. Is there anything I can do for you? I want to pray for you. Because I think what happens when we're praying these comfortable prayers we can get very lackadaisical in our Christian life and it just becomes this mundane thing where God says, I want to pull you out of that comfort zone and begin to have you do riskier things. Begin to pray riskier prayers like, God, use me for your glory and do something that's beyond this little, bless me, Lord, right? which is okay. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but I think we just get so caught here. Meanwhile, there's a whole world around us that needs to be influenced by the light that Jesus Christ has given you. That's a risky prayer. When you begin to say, God, pull me out of that comfort zone. Maybe he's calling you to serve in a way that you're like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And God says, you pray. I'll give you the strength. Just take the step forward. 
and watch what I can do through your life. I love when people take that step. They begin to do something that's out of their comfort zone. And then you begin to see that it's not you doing it, but it's God inside of you that's doing it. And so God wants to break us from that self-sufficiency that I'm just depending on myself and my own giftings. I'll be honest with you. When, when I was in junior high school and we had to start doing oral reports in class, I was terrified. I was terrified to get up in front of the class. I had a little bit of a, a stuttering issue and when I was younger. And I was kind of mocked for it, a little bullied for it. So I was, I was always quiet in class. So I never wanted to get up because I didn't want to look dumb. How many ever felt that way? You just didn't want to look dumb, right? I would never go. In math class, there's no way I would go up to the chalkboard to, to do a problem because I would look stupid or what if I can't answer it, right? So I was always fearful. And I remember there's this one teacher um, in high school. His name was Mr. Carter. And he's just, I was, there's certain teachers you just remember, but I remember Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter was our math teacher for, uh, for Algebra 2 Trigonometry. And I was just going to go straight to like business math. Just take me there. Don't make me do trig. And I can remember the first day of class, because we're going to take a quiz. Whoever fails it, it's going to go to business math. So I'm a junior at the time, and I'm with all these seniors that were in the class that just wanted to get the last credit and get out of there. So they're all like failing it because they just want to go to the easier class. So I failed it. So I'm walking with all these seniors out of the class going, okay, I'm walking with all these people. Um, And Mr. Carter goes, wait a minute, Barden, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't want to. He goes, you're going to stay here. He goes, I think you can pass this class. I go, I'm not good at math. I failed it with everyone. I belong in business, man. I'm not good at math. I just can't do it. Don't make me stay. He did. And he would work with me after school all the time. And I passed. Because Mr. Carter caused me to go out of my comfort zone. And I can remember, I was getting seized. I wasn't blowing, I wasn't blowing trig out of the water by any means, okay? Um, but I can remember one day he called um, three people to come to the front of the class to do a problem. And I had two friends, Tini and Tanya, they were, they were twins. And they were like, Bart, come up with us. Come on. I'm going, no, I'm not going up to the thing because you're going to, Bart, come up. You can do it. And both of them were Christians. So like, come up, come up, come up. I'm like, all right, I'll come up. I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to come up. So I did the problem. I got it right. He goes, okay, for those of you that were bold enough to come, he did it for me. He goes, for those of you that were bold enough to come up, to the board and do the math problem on your next test. I'm going to add 15 points to your grade on your next test. So I went up after class. I said, I said, Mr. Carter, you've never done that before. Did you do that for me? And all he did was wink his eye at me. And I walked out of the class. See, some of you, all you need is someone just to encourage you. And Jesus is your biggest fan. He's your biggest fan. He wants you to step out of that comfort zone. And that was the problem. I'm sure Laodicea was a great church at the beginning. It just got self-sufficient. It lost its way. It started doing it on its own. It started to function without Jesus. And I'll tell you what, we need Jesus every single day in our lives. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. And I, we're going to just sing this closing song. I, I love this song. And and I want us to make it our prayer today. So would you just stand with me today if you're able? And let's just pray. And as, as the band comes and we just 
we just we just close with this this last song today and and um let's bow our hearts real quick and um how many of you just with 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 bowed heads today as the band makes their way up how many would you just say with a raised hand say pastor Brian, i i i need to step out of my comfort zone i'm too comfortable many of you many of you Father God, right now, I just pray that, Lord, you would just guard our hearts from complacency. That, God, for those that realize they need to take a step of faith to get out of their comfort zone, I pray that you would give them the boldness to do it. Lord, you, you, you said to the Laodicean church that you discipline them and rebuke them because, because you love them and you love us, God. And sometimes we need that rebuke and that correction in our life so that so that we can be spurred on to greater things in you for your glory, God. So I just pray for those that, God, they would pray and that, God, they would take that step that you're calling them to do just to get out of their comfort zone and, and God, to use them the way you want to use them, Lord. I pray for us as a, as a church, God, that we would be so careful not to become complacent and to lose our ways and, and get sidetracked on things, our preferences that can so easily divide our church. But help us to be a church that's willing to lay down those things is for the betterment of the whole church so that we can see more people come to you and know you as their personal savior. So keep, keep health in our church. Keep our eyes on you. Help us to keep loving us even through our different preferences and that we'd be able to put up with our idiosyncrasies and that we'd keep coming back to the cross realizing, Jesus, if you could forgive me, if you could forgive Barden with all his weirdness, then, then God, you can, you, I can offer forgiveness for someone who's hurt me. Help us to keep coming back to that wonderful message of your grace and help us to be the people that offer it to. So we just thank you for these things and thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name.